Howdy folks, this is Scott Parker, and you're listening to another episode of Keep the Dream Flowing, a Woodstock 1969 podcast. It is January 2024. Happy New Year, everybody, from the crew here. It's been a while. It's been about, I guess, about two and a half months or so since our last new episode was published, and uh, we've missed you guys. We hope you missed us. Um, We just had a number of amazing things that had to get done in our lives, and We just uh, needed to take a short break so that we could do all that kind of stuff. But we are back, and in this episode, we're going to chat with a very special human being, Mr. Bob Summer. He's the cousin, uh, we don't know if it's first cousin, second cousin, third cousin, of Burt Summer, the legendary Burt Summer, who played a legendarily wonderful set at Woodstock in 1969, and then pretty much went into obscurity by degrees after that. Bob is a great guy. He shares his memories of Bert and it's just a fun conversation. And you may notice that I wasn't there for the beginning of the interview due to technical problems. I do appear in the next installment of the interview, which is coming next week. So without any further ado, here's part one of our conversation with Bob Summer talking Bert, baby Bert, right here on Keep the Dream Flying, a Woodstock 1969 podcast. Hello, you're listening to Keep the Dream Flowing, a 1969 Woodstock podcast, and I'm with my friends Jack Lokensky and Aaron Shear, and we have a gentleman here with us who's, we'll talk about him. He's related to, in my opinion, one of the most underrated singer-songwriters of any generation. I'm referring to Burt Summer, who passed away, I believe, in 1990. And we have Bob Sommer, a relative of his, who's a very interesting man, and he's going to tell us about himself. And welcome, Bob. We're glad to have you here. Well, thank you. It's, it's, it's really good to be here. Um, um, so I am Bert's cousin. Now, when it comes to, you know, degrees of cousins, first cousin, second cousin, once removed, I have no idea. Um, all I know is that Bert used to come over to our house all the time. Um, and in 1969, yeah, am I, am I right on the year? Yeah, I was, I was six years old Yeah. and, uh, my parents, so I I grew up in suburban New Jersey. Um, so my parents were folkies. They were into Joan Baez and Judy Collins, Kingston Trio, Woody Guthrie, community theater and poetry readings. And, um, you know, they heard that our cousin Bert was going to be at the Woodstock Music and Art Fair and he got us some tickets. And so they loaded up the station wagon with me and my older sister, who was like <laughs> two years older. And off we went to Never Neverland. I mean, nobody knew um, that the event would be what it was. You know, this was just this thing. It was this Woodstock Music and Art Fair. All right. So, yeah. So my parents packed up the station wagon with me and my older sister, who was about two years older than me. And off we went to the Woodstock Music and Art Fair. See Cousin Bert. Uh, my parents had some friends who had a son who was around 17 or 18, and he was actually looking for a ride up there as well. So he kind of went with us, and uh, my parents said he was sort of like our guide because he was, you know, a hip kid um, with long right. hair, and uh, he sort of, you know, uh, got us through uh, uh, anything that we couldn't that they couldn't navigate on their own. So. Uh, off we went to Woodstock to see Bert. 
You were six. How clearly do you remember this? Yeah, so I absolutely remember being there. Um, I don't remember a whole hell of a lot of the music. Right. We were all, and we were only there for the first day. That was it. Okay, because we, well, Bert played on the Friday, so you were just there to see. Right. Bert. We we went and, there to see. We went there to see Bert, and uh, you know when it started getting dark, it looked like it might start to rain. I guess, and uh, you know my parents said. Okay, so we've got this tent, we've got a sleeping bag, we've got some fried chicken, we've got some brownies. We're just going to give it all away to anybody who wants it. You know, uh, Don, who was the kid who came up with us, we gave him the sleeping bag. We're like, good luck, we'll see you later. And then we hiked out. Um, so I vividly remember being there. I remember that, you know, I remember that the massive traffic jam. And at one point, we had to just stop and pull over and then hike our way in. No one ever collected our tickets. And then as we were driving out, you know, I remembered my parents were saying, you know, so we were asleep in the back of the station wagon and a whole bunch of kids were like jumping on the car and then they'd look inside and they'd say, oh, there's kids. And they all got off. They were all like very respectful that we were kind of driving out. But um, so I remember, you know, I remember the long hike into the site. I remember being there sitting on the lawn and uh, eating brownies and fried chicken. I, I had sandals on my hands. I it was like clapping music, and uh, and I remember the ride home, and that's basically about it. I do remember that my dad got up and went backstage at one point, say hello to Bert, and that's a tragedy of my life that I did not go or I was not allowed to go backstage with him to uh, to see my cousin Bert. I wouldn't say it's the tragedy of my life, but I have a um, similar experience in that my grandfather was a stagehand on the original Broadway run of Hair. Oh, okay. So Bert was in the cast. Yes. I might have met him. I don't remember meeting him. But later in my life, I became, you know, this Woodstock aficionado. And it would have been cool to have a picture or something with Bert. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you were talking earlier, you know, you're right about Bert. Bert was... The thing that, you know, in all the research that I've done is that, you know, um, after Woodstock, you know, everyone was sure that Bert was going to be a star. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he got he got the first standing ovation of the of the event. Uh, I mean, he blew the crowd away. But because of the record company deals and the contracts, he didn't make it onto the record. He didn't make it onto the film. And he just kind of like vanished into obscurity. I mean, from what I understand is that like Santana was a West Coast thing and nobody knew who the fuck Santana was. But after Woodstock, they were international stars. Correct. Um, mm-hmm. And it just didn't happen for Bert. And I hear that he was not bitter about it. Um, well, there's a famous he had a famous he had a quote that said, here I am. You know, this is this is I'm paraphrasing it, so it may not be exact. Yeah. But here I am. I was in two of the biggest events of the 60s, hair in Woodstock. And here I am in Troy, New York, and I can't get arrested. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He had some disappointment at the very least about it. He did. And and he was, um, you know, he wasn't exactly a, a model citizen in terms of his lifestyle. Um, Correct. You know, Bert was doing a lot of fucking drugs. Um, right. The last time I saw him, um, it was in the 80s. And 
Um, I was working at uh, Channel 5 in New York, WNDWTV. Okay. I was doing an internship there, and I was working on this show that was called Saturday Morning Live with Gene Rayburn. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. And so I had to be at the studio at like 5 a.m., and right. my great aunt, uh, Bert's grandmother, Aunt Jean, lived not far from the studio. So on Fridays, I would uh, go to her house and spend the night. And then go to the studio in the morning and then go back to Jersey on Sunday or late on Saturday. And uh, and Bert popped in one night. Sure. To say hello. And um, and we chatted for about 15 minutes. And uh, and then he, you know, went off into the night. And I always wanted to say, hey, Bert, let's go. Let's go. You know, I wanted to go with him. Um, but uh, people later told me that he would not have been receptive. That was some of his dark years. And uh, he was probably off to uh, to other misadventures. So. I'm trying to think what else I can tell you about Bert. I mean, I only met him a handful of times. Um, I mean, do you remember, you know, reading that uh, Wall Street Journal article? Do you remember Bert Summer? Mm. And once again, it talks all about how, you know, the the lost star of Woodstock. And it really burns me up that he's not even on the freaking plaque. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's some people who are trying. There's some people who are trying to correct that. Um, I've, I've heard about that as well. Yeah. They, they're... Um, Pat Colucci, um, who was an original attendee, he started a um, petition, which is available online. Because it is a a shame that Bert's not there. Um, John Sebastian's name is misspelled. Um, I don't think Quill, I don't think, there's three of them that aren't on the monument. I think it's, um, it's Bert, it's Quill, and the other one's, uh, evading me, and of course the uh, four founders of you know the four founders of the Woodstock Festival, Michael Lang, Artie Kornfeld, John Roberts, and Joel Rosenman aren't uh, aren't mentioned at all. Right? Are, now, are they all dead now? No. Two of them. Artie's two of them alive. are John Artie, Roberts Artie died in two thousand one, and Michael Lang died like yeah, right. a year ago, year and a half. January twenty twenty two, I think. Yeah. Okay. okay, so that's like a year and a half ago. Yeah, it's Artie and uh, Joel. Uh, Joel are always still alive. Oh, really? So Artie's really still alive. Did you, does anyone have yeah. any contact information for him? Yeah, yeah. I He's on to, Facebook. Okay, because I, I would love because he was Bert's manager. I would like yes. to like I yeah. would like to chat with him. Uh, so I'm sort of a music guy, and uh, I got into radio when I was in high school. Um, my high school had a 10 watt FM radio station. What high school? Oh, Highland Park High School in New Jersey, Central okay. Jersey, uh, right no, across I'm, the river. I, I, I live Brunswick. in Rockland County, New York, so I'm very well oh, okay. aware of Jersey. So they and had talked about WNEW. I'm like, yeah, that's oh, yeah. through Channel 5. Oh, yeah. No, no. I remember Vin Skelsa and Allison Steele and uh, all those. Yeah. Yeah. So well, uh, they were on WNEW FM and you were on uh, the TV channel, but all the same company. Yeah, all the same company, all Metro Media, all Metro right. Media. Um, but yeah, so I remember, so I got into radio in high school. Um, and uh, and then at some point, you know, and I was sort of into a, like hard rock. I was a big Kiss fan. And then uh, and then I took some LSD and I learned about the Grateful Dead and <laughs> <laughs> kind of changed my life a little bit, just so to speak. Um, yeah, that that kind of happens. 
<laughs> yeah and then then you know then i you know being a music guy it just sort of went down the rabbit hole so i'm like you know i'm a fan of bluegrass and folk and country and so forth and jazz and um uh eventually i got into the burning man community um okay um, you guys have heard of the burning man festival yep. they have a radio station out there and so i ran the burning man fm radio station for about 15 years um before i moved to the netherlands and now i I run the year-round Burning Man radio station on the internet. It's called ShoutingFire.com. Um, okay. But as a as a music guy, you know, I always wondered. You know, listening to Burt's records, I'm like, who the fuck was in charge of this? I'm like, who put, who put the strings behind him on this record? I'm like, super bad decision. I'm like, I I just don't think his management was all that great. You may not want to tell that to Artie Kornfeld. Yeah, no, I, I, that is not lost on me. <laughs> but I just think that that's it's more astute. Uh, I don't know. I just don't, I just think I just think there things, was just, there were some failings there. Think things happen, you know. People yeah, get their moment time. in the sun, and sometimes it becomes a big thing. Sometimes it doesn't. I was uh, we we've uh, there's a documentary here in the United States which will eventually go to screaming streaming and you'll see it uh what the hell happened to blood sweat and tears oh okay and in 1969 blood sweat and tears was one of the biggest bands in the world with uh spinning wheel and you made me so very happy and oh yeah absolutely they were they're huge huge and then all of a sudden nothing gone <laughs> gone and the movie talks about they did a tour for the state department of the Eastern Bloc in 1970, oh, wow. and that killed them. Yeah, I don't know if that was the thing that killed them. It was definitely a factor, but they also didn't have another album like their second album. Right, sure. And then they had 214 other people join Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Right, yeah. So they had a, you know, who are actually going to be, and they're actually, I just saw yesterday, they're touring the Netherlands in the fall. I went to see the tubes and yeah. uh, there was one original member and they were a, a, a really pale shade of them for their former selves. Mm -hmm. um, right. It was very sad. Actually. What was that fee? Waybill? Waybill Was he the original? Uh, he was one of the original. I don't know if he was the one who was still there. It was, it was quite some time ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, I mean, Bert, Bert, you know, the guy sang like a freaking bird and, and totally self-taught. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. a really gentle guy, um, but had a really, you know, I don't know, you know, I didn't know him well enough to know what got him into the hard shit. And, um, mm. I mean, uh, obviously, you know, Bert, uh, it's no, no, no secret that Bert was a, a major junkie at some point. Um, right. and, uh, you know, I mean, I, I hear about how a lot of musicians get into heroin. Um, I don't know how Bert got into it or, you know, what it offered him. But um, he was a really, really talented guy. And um, there were the times that I met him where I thought he was kind of a jerk. I just wanted to like smack him when I was a kid. And like, and, um, you know, he, he came over to the house one day and he had all these pictures out and I went to pick one up. He's like, Oh no, don't touch those. Those are for adults only. I'm like, I wanted to like punch the guy. <laughs>
Jennifer's heaven for Jenny yesterday. Skin shining white as a dove. Lying beside her and melted away into a river of love. Counting the ways that she smiles Time is slipping away, yeah Lost in the arms of her love So gentle and wild Jennifer's something you handle with care Fragile as crystals of glass Jennifer's lips are as soft as the air Kissing her here in the grass Whoa, I'm lost in a maze Counting the ways that she smiles And time is slipping away, yeah in the arms of her love So gentle and wild Jennifer's heaven For Jenny I'd stay Skin shining white as a dove Lying beside her I melted away Into a river of love Into a river of love Into a river of Because of that, and, you know, he died probably what when you were, what, 15 or so? What year did he die? 1990. You were probably 27, I think. Yeah, no, so I was, yeah, I was out of, okay. I graduated college in 81, so. Yeah. So what, being that you only met him a handful of times, aside from your last name, what brought you back to him? Uh, well, I, I was always, you know, growing up, I was always very keenly aware of Bert. Um, okay. We had all of his records. Um, right. I, you know, every record that he put out, my parents bought. And I was, I would, I would play around with the stereo. So I'd always play records that my parents had because I was a, sort of, even before I got into radio, I was a music guy. So I would put things on the, on the stereo. And I knew like, you know, all of his songs and the lyrics um, I thought that the record inside Bert Stummer with him, like looking at the refrigerator and pulling things out, like, I thought that was the yeah. coolest thing I'd ever seen. I'm like, this man is incredibly cool. I'm so happy that I am related to this guy. Um, and as years went on, it's a, it's a little bit of a claim to fame that you were six years old and at Woodstock. Um, and I've still got my ticket and I've got pictures of me on the lawn and everything. 
Um, and, uh, you know, I would let people know, like, you know, so I was at Woodstock, um, and, uh, I went to see my cousin and, and I would show them YouTube videos and they're like, Oh my God. Like I never, he's, he's amazing. They're like, why does not, why do not more people know about this guy? Yeah. Because yeah, there wasn't YouTube, because there wasn't social media back in 1969. Oh, exactly, exactly. And I meant what I said, that he was one of the most underrated singer-songwriters. I, you listen to the guy without knowing, you know, his past or even not even, not even have anything to do with Woodstock. You can tell the guy was extremely talented and... And he was arguably, you could argue, he was the best performer at Woodstock as far as his set. His set was yeah. amazing, amazing. Um, I hear that there's really? video of the entire thing, which which Ira has seen. So I'm asking Ira about how do I get, um, uh, how do I get, uh, you know, how do I get a, a, in touch with that the, with the video? But yeah, you know, Bert. Um, what brought me back to the whole bird thing was, you know, once I became sort of a, a deadhead and started getting into roots music and bluegrass and folk and so forth. Um, that's what kind of brought me back to, 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 to Bert's music. Yeah, no. So I got into the dead and, you know, um, being part of the burning man community, um, yeah. they're like, I see this continuum between beatniks and hippies right. and, burners and so forth and i'm like this is all the same group of people they will not admit that because if you tell a burner that they're a hippie they they want to like they want to punch you you know <laughs> um but it is all the same continuum and the fact that i was at woodstock you know and now the lifestyle that i live here in the netherlands you know in the countryside you know, we try to grow a lot of our own food, um, the food that we don't grow on our own. We get from our neighbors who are farmers. Um, I feel that I am part of the back to the land movement, which comes from my hippie Woodstock background. It makes yeah. sense to me. People who meet me and find out that I've been, I, I was at Woodstock, they're like, oh, it all makes sense now. <laughs> She's just a girl But oh, how she makes me feel inside I tell her the thing that I should hide It makes me glad to take her hand in mine And when she's there I lose all track of time But when she gets closer I feel that I've known her all of my life But she's just a girl Oh, how she starts my head to spin 
If she looks my way, I just have to grin. So much is said just by a glance or two. When I'm with her, the night is never through. Oh, but when she gets closer, I feel that I've known her all of my life. Sometimes I can't begin to sleep at night. Only thinking of her till it gets definitely impacted your life even though you have changed my life it changed my life it is probably and even though i was only six years old and i don't remember much of it um it was the single most impactful event in my entire life absolutely it had a major impact on who i am today no doubt I, i had a similar experience although i didn't realize it until somebody pointed it out to me when my grandfather was in hair, he took me to see it. And I was five when I went. And that definitely had an impact on my life because I can't say I'm a hippie per se, but my whole interest in the Woodstock Festival and some of the, and I definitely embody a lot of the hippie spirits. Sure, sure. And I think that was taught to me from a two-hour performance of hair. So, you know, um, before I moved to Holland, my wife and I were looking for like, we were thinking of, well, maybe we'll just stay in the U.S. And we were looking at different places to go live. And we thought, well, maybe we'll move to Woodstock. Right. So um, we uh, flew out to the East Coast from California and went to see my dad, who was living in uh, Edison, New Jersey. And uh, we borrowed his car and we drove up to Woodstock for the weekend. We had got an Airbnb up there. And just kind of 
hung out for a week and walked around. And then we're like, you know, I got to make the pilgrimage. And she's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, we got to go back to Bethel. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we fired up the car and we drove out to Bethel. And Mm -hmm. I just remember, you know, we're driving down the road and there's Yasker on the farmhouse. And then we get there and it was a really slow day, apparently. Um, And we went out to the lawn and based on the pictures that I had, I found the place that we were pretty much very close to sitting. Okay. And I sat there on the open lawn by myself and I could just feel the vibrations. Yeah. I could just, it was like something was saying, you've come back, you're home. Welcome. It was amazing. It was amazing. And then we went to uh, the museum and the visitor center and we walked in and I said, you know, why is there not, it seemed to all be about the sixties rather than the musicians. I said, there's not, doesn't seem to be a lot about the musicians here. They may have changed by now. Um, and I was talking to this one docent. I said, because I, I'm Bert Summer's cousin. And the next thing I know, I'm like downstairs meeting the executive director. We were treated like royalty. Um, uh, and they were very, very nice. They were, they were very glad that we were there. Um, we ultimately decided not, you know, not to end up uh, moving to Woodstock, but it was an amazing experience going back. Right. And yeah. That, just that moment of sitting on the lawn <clears throat> was just, it was mind blowing, really mind blowing. Um, I will never forget that moment. Yeah, no, I, I, I go back given that I live roughly an hour South of the place. I go back fairly often and it, feels like home and it's you know there's definitely an energy in that field that is were you there no i was four and my parents weren't that okay got it (laughs) yeah but just you know i remember um um as a deadhead um i remember hearing a quote from jerry garcia talking about being in woodstock and he said you know you can uh you could feel the presence of time travelers who had come back to witness the event. And I totally get that. I totally get that Um, because that's what it felt like when I was sitting on that lawn many years later hearing you've come back. Um, Yeah. Just an amazing, uh, as I said, major influence on who I am today. Let us be lovers. We'll marry our fortunes together Well, I've got some real estate here in my bag So we bought a pack of cigarettes And Mrs. Wagner's pies And we walked off to look for America Kathy, I said, as we boarded a Greyhound in Pittsburgh. Well, Michigan seems like a dream to me now. It took me four days to hitchhike from Saginaw. I've come to look for America. <laughs> 
a cigarette. I think there's one in my raincoat. Oh, we smoked the last one an hour ago. So I looked at the scenery. She read her magazines and the moon rose over an open field. Kathy, I'm lost. Oh, I said, though I knew she was sleeping. I'm empty and aching, and I don't know why. Counting the cars on the New Jersey Turnpike, they've all come to look for America. They've all come to look for Introduce uh, the rest of the group. On bass, this is Charlie. From Sam Ash in Brooklyn. In Hempstead. Yeah. And over there is Ira. And Ira's operated by Hal. <laughs> Hi, Artie. How'd you get into Burning Man? Um, I was into radio. And um, I was, you know, I used to work for NPR and okay. I'd done some pirate radio and I'd done some commercial radio and, um, you know, I'm a freak, you know, so living in the Bay Area, you eventually find out about Burning Man because it's all very Bay Area centric. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so it was radio. So uh, that drew me out there. And I found the radio station the first day that I was there and I knocked on their door and, and they said, Hey, what's going on? I said, I work at a radio station. They're like, come in. So <laughs> then uh, two, 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 two to three years later, I was running the place. Cool. Um, and I, I love radio. I think it's a great medium for connecting people year round. The radio uh, industry is not adapted well to the change of technology. Um, yeah. you know, terrestrial radio is dying medium um radio radio is an art that's trapped in a business you know radio yeah. used to be amazing mm -hmm. uh, you remember you know in the early days of uh you know wnew you know allison Steele, the nightbird yep. started right. her program with a poem you know you can't do that anymore 
Yeah. Well, on late night FM, you can. Well, you can. You know, it depends on where you are. But DJs don't pick their own music anymore. You know, WNEW used to have, you know, WNEW had, you know, they had a a suggested bin that you could pick music from that rec, you know, but you could have some sort of a, in what you were playing, that doesn't happen anymore. There's some monkey in a in a room, you know, who's reading radio and records now, um, who's saying, "Oh, well, they're playing that. I'll play that too." There's no thought that goes into it anymore. Um, but the yeah. internet has changed things. Um, so there's amazing music all over the fucking internet. Um, you just got to find it, and people have not really adapted well yet to. The technology, you know, it's getting there because now, you know, you know, things like Spotify and streaming is built into your car radio, you know, if you're buying something new. Um, I mean, I never listen to I I rarely listen to FM radio unless I'm doing pirate stuff. Um, And then, of course, I've got it on. And the challenge with pirate radio is no one has an FM radio anymore. So, (laughs) well, given that Spotify is the platform that hosts this podcast, we love Spotify. We love. I love Spotify too. I have a premium subscription. <laughs> yeah, we 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 have nothing but nice things to say about Spotify. Of course, of course. Yeah, no, you know, it's like uh, so. Bob Pittman at iHeartRadio is a good friend of ours, uh, and he hosts uh, our Burning Man station on. So we love iHeartRadio too. <laughs> oh, Bob Pittman's a big a big man. Yeah, that's, that's cool that he's your uh, friend. With Uncle Charlie, his facility's great It doesn't pay to settle, you can see a go-getter It's Charlie when you wanna do, wait And that's a start, but you could do better He can get you acres of superior stash His clients feel secure, he keeps extremely confidential It's Charlie when you wanna get smashed It's well known, he never touched homegrown Strictly Colombian today The one poker shows you of a hot smoke Really make your memory slip away You'll forget to ask them on the way To lower that outrageous price that you just paid It's well known it never touched homegrown Strictly Colombian today The one poker shows you of a hot smoke Really make your memory slip away well, you forget to ask them on the way To lower that outrageous price that you just paid That's a start, but you could do better The right amount of dollars gets a generous supply This smoker pool selection is the finest in the city It's Charlie when you wanna get high It's Charlie when you wanna get high Just talk with Uncle Charlie when you feel like it
And that's our show. Keep the Dream Flowing, a Woodstock 1969 podcast was produced and edited by Scott Parker. Your hosts were Jack Lekensky, Johnny Hudson, Aaron Shear, and Scott Parker. Keep the Dream Flowing, a Woodstock 1969 podcast is not associated in any way with Woodstock Ventures or any of its entities. Come and check us out on our Facebook page. The group is called Keep the Dream Flowing where we keep you updated on various things that we're doing and give you a heads up when there's a new episode coming. So check that out. On behalf of all of us here at Keep the Dream Flowing, this is Scott Parker saying thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time. Good evening and welcome to the world premiere, the brand new debut of the always new, always hot, Sarge Blatto's Hot Seat, the new half-hour version in which we cram 15 minutes full of entertainment and information into a half an hour. And the song you were listening to was Don't Take Candy from Strangers, written by my inimitable and always marvelous guest, the premier guest tonight on the half-hour hot seat, the absolutely incredible, always marvelous, Bert, uh, Summer, Bert Summer. I love this guy! And uh, that, was his, that was a song, Don't Take Candy from Strangers, that he wrote with uh, another local legend, uh, master guitar slinger, Eddie Angel. That's right. Uh, yeah. This is only a half-hour show, and okay. I know that in your life you've done uh, about a half-hour's worth of things, at least. Half-hour's worth of work, certainly. Right, yes. So let's Would you start, like to start, babe? Let's jump right in. I mean, you were, I mean you're a multi-talented star. Now, Absolutely. You were... Uh, Major label record deals, we're talking lots of albums. We're talking big, baby. We're talking TV, we're talking Broadway stage, we're talking, we're talking teen idol. Look at that. Does that look like me? Look, check this guy. Look, here, see? Here's the mole. See the little mole here? I got it right over here. Oh. <laughs> look at that. Isn't that gorgeous? You get, get a close-up of that, babe. This was, uh, this is the program for, uh, hair. Uh, when I did this, I, and this was from the Los Angeles cast, and uh, anyway, forget it. This is uh, back, this is 1969, and uh, well, I, Charlie, I could have been a contender, well, I could have been somebody. Well, let's talk about hair for a little while, okay, while, we're, what do you while we're showing the program here. This is... Uh, There's a shot of the nude scene in here, too, but uh, that's all you get to see. <laughs> well, who is in this production with you? Well, in this production, I had uh, Ben Vereen. You're Ben Vereen, the guy that dances and sings. Yeah. Marvelous, a tremendous talent, ladies and gentlemen. Sammy Davis Jr. of the 80s. Marvelous, marvelous. Uh, ben was in there. Jennifer Warrens, uh, the girl sang It's the Right Time of the Night. Right. She was in that, and uh, my goodness, my goodness, it oh, was good. That's, there pretty, was, that's pretty hot coming. Many people. Barry McGuire was in it for a while, and uh, the, the Joe Butler from The Love and Spoon. Remember him? Right, yeah, yeah. yeah, he did a little bit in there, too. So, and all kinds of guys. How, how long did you do this? I did the L.A. show very quickly. I opened the uh, cast, the original cast in L.A. for about three months, and then I had a, gotten a record deal, which was that uh, old Capitol album. There. Yeah, here we go. This was my first uh, album. Here. This is 1969. Again, see, look at that face. 
Same yeah. hairdo? Let me, let's compare hairdos. Yeah, look, look at that beautifulness. Compare hairdos, yeah. Look at that. See? Yeah, same hair. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So this was, and this was on Capitol Records, and this was the first thing I did. Then I cut this, and I went back to, uh, to New York, and I joined the cast uh, of Hair There, and mm -hmm. I did that thing through 1970. And then, of so course... L.A., you did New York. Oh, yeah. Did New you York. Do any well, that was the main companies? thing. No, the main thing I did was the uh, was the New York cast. I was in that for about a year and a half, but then uh, that was uh, in in February of '69. But of course, now in August '69, was the uh, historic historic Woodstock Festival, which was uh, a tremendous uh, gathering of festivities, uh, and I Two happened of our to be there. Maybe old enough to have heard their grandfathers talk about the Woodstock Festival. Uh, well. Pop and rock love festival. I lost the uh, uh, I lost that uh, the times thing, but anyway, well, Woodstock. We have uh, we have here, here we the uh, you know Woodstock '69 scholastic uh, book uh, called Woodstock '69 and inside on one of those unnumbered pages we find a shot of this gentleman. Look here. at this guy! I love this guy! Look at that. Sitting, sitting cross-legged yeah. in a, right. a yoga position. Uh, I was in the uh, sound towers, and I watched the whole show. But like Saturday and, and Friday night, watch it from that sound tower. Well, you didn't watch the whole show. Right? No, because, because I was busy indulging in many activities that were available. No, but I'm just, <laughs> no, what I'm trying to get at, Bert, was that you were playing at oh, the festival well, I'm, as well. Of course, I'm referring to after, uh -huh. you know, I played... Matter of fact, yes, it was great. It was. Uh, I think the night I played, there was about there's three hundred thousand people at it. So what because was, what, by Saturday it was a half a million people. That's the true count. What was what was your spot on the okay, show? Okay, well I went on. Let's see, Richie Havens. He opened. There was a fight about who was going to open it. And you know, like I was the new kid on the block. They asked me to open. I said, <laughs> you know, I was petrified. I wasn't going to get uh, in front of all those people. And so uh, Havens, a because the professional that he is, he said, you know, don't worry about it. I'll open. He opened. And a group called Sweetwater right, went on, right. you know. Then I went on about 7 o'clock, 7.30, as it was getting dark. And uh, then Tim Horn went on after me and, and so on. And I, by that time, I was a little out of commission at that point. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the right. people after that, uh, we're not yeah. quite sure who was on. But that was great, like, because all the, uh, the amount of people, like, this was the first gig I'd ever done. Because I, I this was the first gig you'd ever done. First time I ever played, festival. yeah, in, in front of an audience. Sure, you know I played in my living room, and you know played for friends and stuff. The first time I played, so like I was petrified, you know. Now I was nervous. You know no, what I mean? You, you hadn't done any. Uh... I had already cut a record. Though. See, I had made an album. Right. And I had been in hair, and I mean that was like the, a, 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 a schooling enough to like get in front of them people. But doing your songs in front right. of an audience. Never had done it. Woodstock Festival. That was my first debut. First time. Absolutely. Isn't that marvelous? That, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of hard to believe that you just... You yeah, know, strange but true. But uh, yeah, that's what happened. Well, I guess when you're a superstar like you are, oh, all yeah. things fall into your lap. <laughs> Can you lend me 10? I'm really short of cash this week. <laughs> so. Okay, yeah, so moving right along. Next. <laughs> No, so I did that. I stayed in. I stayed in here for a good long time, and then uh, after Woodstock uh, had happened, I geez, maybe eight months, ten months later, I got another record deal because that first Capitol album went mm -hmm. nowhere. The guy that produced it, Artie Kornfeld, he was the producer of the Woodstock Festival. He wrote that song, uh, "Dead Man's Curve," 
Janet Dean, and he wrote the Cow Sills song, The Rain Apart. Ooh, good you know, things. But he wrote a real good one, Christian, Crispin St. Peter's. Ah, Pied Piper? Always. Oh, <laughs> marvelous. Right, right. So he... Bambi, uh, fan, Bambi Manor fans. Bambi Manor? Whose who's show what? is this? What? <laughs> show is this? What? Bambi Manor fans may remember that one. I was always a big favorite on Pied Piper. And uh, so anyway, Artie was involved with that. So I was still involved with him, but... He was a, a vice president of Capitol Records back then, uh, mm -hmm. of A&R, and he lost the job there. Uh, I don't know, he quit or, or he fired, I don't know what. Right. You know, with him, who knows. <laughs> so here I am up the paddle, uh, the, the river without a paddle. Up the paddle? Right. So like, uh, I'm in there, no, no uh, producer with a record company anymore. I had no deal, but I had an album. Just played at Woodstock. I couldn't get myself arrested. You believe this? That's so, hard to believe. Right. So I've seen you in then Artie time comes time up because after the Woodstock, easy to get arrested. After Woodstock, like he had this whole deal with Warner Brothers because they had lost money on Woodstock, but the Warner Brothers offered to buy the, for the movie rights. Right. So they all got out of the hole with that, and then Artie got his own label with Buddha Records, and that's when uh, I put out the next album. Next album, which please. Sarge has a copy of this, so it just happens to this have one. in handy. This right. That's it. This was a uh, tremendous... Inside Burt Summer. Inside Burt Summer is gone. Now, you see, this opens... Well, well who's these guys? Oh, these sorry. Guys <laughs> this goes like this. You see, here was the concept. I'm walking, it's called Inside Burt. This is how do we get inside my head. What is me, right? What makes on me? So this is me walking across. I walk across the album like this. Then I come back in over here. And then here I am in a refrigerator, you see? Which, much to my surprise, I'm... Whoa! And I open it up and it's filled only with ice cream and Hydrox cookies, which are like Oreos, but the cream and the Hydrox is much better. It's a much better cookie, and for the money, stick with Hydrox. Anyway, and here on this, on this album, I had a song called We're All Playing in the Same Band, which I may like do a few bars of later. And that song was good because it sold 420,000 copies. To this day, I still get airplay royalties from BMI for writing it. Why don't we hear a little bit of that song right now? A little bit of that song. George, we're going to pick up the, this guitar George, we're going to... Uh, personal friend of mine, George, right over here. I love this guy also. Especially this one. Now, here, listen. I'm going to give you one verse. And... Hey, live, right here. Real George is back here. Soft is out We're all playing. Guitars for you and me. Stand beside your brother and take his hand. Seems that times are changing. <laughs> so yes, that was that song. And that song sold. I know none of you have ever heard it because you're so young. Ask me how old I am. How old are you, Bert? I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm too old. I'm too old. Anyway, yes, that was just a brief uh, verse. Mm -hmm. I love talking to the camera. You know, it's like, it's good. You know, I like, look at the camera. And... 
It makes me feel marvelous. You're born to be a star, Bernie. Right. So, so, um, what, what have we here? <laughs> well, we were in this decade. We were in this decade here, see. How troublesome girls, oh wait, right. how troublemakers use girls to put down the cops. This was, this was an Esquire, and it was like, it was just done as a job, right? And I happened to get it because I was inherited. I'm so they figure, you know, I was cool or something. So I got, you get paid, I don't want to give you like 60 an hour or 80 an hour for modeling. Like all these girls were models in Cosmopolitan and all of them done. Yeah, so, you know, so you're, so this was sort of like your, right. this was sort of like your break into modeling. Yeah. And you, you never yeah, really and, worked and out. And can you, you believe never... this? Not one of these girls was ready to do nothing either after the, after the shoot. <laughs> So you never, uh, you never became the new Christy Brinkley. No, I, I, unfortunately, I didn't. But anyway, now here we are. We're at 1970 now, and that happened soon. So no, so far, no, so far, so far, you've been uh, 1985. You've been a Broadway star. You've had a major record deal. Yeah. You've been on the. You've been featured at the Woodstock Woodstock Festival. You tried to become the next Christy Brinkley. Where's the money? What happened to the money? Charlie, you was my brother. You should look down for me a little. Okay. I could have been somebody. <laughs> well, we'll be right back. Uh, no, and so, what was the next? We did. Oh, we did two. We did two albums. Okay, now. we got the two albums. And, yeah. and we had. We're all playing in the same band. Which yeah. Was, so that uh, was happening. That got me work. That got me like I opened for uh, uh, Ike and Tina Turner at. Uh, this is inside this picture. This was a shot. This is what I looked like in 71 when I opened Fry Cantina at Winterland. It was them and Spirit. Uh, and I Cantina was the, you know, the headline. And that was like around Halloween time. That was great. And so I would open for people. Costume. Yeah, I, I played at Carnegie Hall. I opened for Poco. I did, you know, festivals and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, I was like the opening at the Birds and, and Richie Havens out in... New Jersey at some racetrack, things like that. I played all over the island at colleges. You did uh, the Delphi. You did a date here at SUNY. Played at SUNY, opened for the Jefferson Airplane and Papa John Creech. That yeah. was in, in '71 or something like right. that. Yeah, and that's what I was doing mostly. I saw that show. Was I good? I don't remember. Ah, I love this guy. Ah, ah. So, um, but you told me you were there, so I believe yeah, you. Of course, but. So there was all this kind of, you know, opening act stuff. Uh-huh, yeah. And places like the Bitter End and Folk City down in New York. Hey, Folk City. Yeah. Very Kenny's good. Castaways. Oh, yeah, very lovely place. <laughs> Vinny Boombots' Lounge Rendezvous, I played there. <laughs> that, but, that was in Jersey, though, right? Yeah. yeah, stuff like that. Opening act and... And, and it was kind of like tour, but not the tour like you see today, you know. Yeah. That you well, see so-and-so's on with MTV tour with somebody in all the stadiums. I didn't hit that. Yeah, all this time you had two albums out and you had never been on MTV, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay.
Yeah. 